morning again, everyone. Do you guys remember, or did any, has anyone ever read the book, The Da Vinci Code? Anyone? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Did you see the movie? Yeah. yeah? Okay, yeah, a lot more hands there, yeah. You remember when that movie came out, or that book came out? I remember the book came out. It was like, it was like, ooh, it's like, that's like, that's heresy. And it was a, it was a work of fiction. And um, I'm not sure Dan Brown's motives for it, but, you know, he intertwined, like, facts in there and, and fiction, and it's a story of, you know, Leonardo da Vinci, who lived in the 15th century, revealing a truth about something that hadn't happened in the first century through his painting of the Lord's Supper, right, and revealing who the, what the true uh, Holy Grail is, and, and not what we think it is, and I'm not going to spoil it. I, I think I spoiled it in last service. I don't want to do that. So, um, <laughs> revealing who it is, and, and the whole church was just like, well, that's horrible, and, and I, it was horrible because it, it caused an uproar, and people were doubting and, and wondering it's true, and all the conspiracy theorists just came out of the woodwork, like, oh, well, that, that makes sense, and it's like, well, yeah, it does until you actually look at the evidence, until you actually, like, do some investigation, and it doesn't make any sense. And all you have to do is just a little bit. And, and people then took about debunking it and supporting it. And it was just a firestorm of, of controversy. And I think it was just a reminder to us, although we haven't learned this lesson yet, that we shouldn't take anything for granted. We should question everything. And that includes what I'm telling you right now. You should question that I tell you you should question, right? That's like, maybe not. But you should question everything. You shouldn't take what I tell you for granted. In fact, the reason you shouldn't is because you have this yourself. And if you don't have one of these, if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can see it online. You can read it online. If you don't trust what's online, then come talk to me after the service. I would love to give you a Bible that you could read for yourself and, and, and put the words I tell you to the test. You should put every preacher's words to the test. And, and you should put Dan Brown's words to the test. And, and we should understand that in this world of fake news, right, and, and misinformation that we have to do some work to get at the truth and to what really is going on. And, and we should take some great comfort because just as much different disinformation is out there, there's a lot of good information out there. But here's, here's the bad news. You're going to have to work to find it. You're actually going to have to do the work and dig in and do the research. But you'll benefit, you will profit from that. And, and that's what we see today in the text. We see someone who has profited from that investigation, someone who has sought after the information about Jesus and, and is now relaying it to his readers. And he's, I would say he's relaying it to us. And that is the gospel writer, Luke, uh, that we call the journalist. And because we believe he acts kind of like a journalist, he, he's thought of as being a historian because his book the gospel is written like a history. It, it's got a lot of historical evidence in the text. And historians, modern-day historians, look at his writing, and they agree that Luke is a historian of, of, of great regard because of the, the details that are in this text that have been verified. And so Luke puts these in here for a specific purpose so that you could investigate the truth. And so we want to look at this morning, like, who is Luke? We want to look and understand what this book is and what this book of the Bible is, this gospel. And, and then we want to look at what else is he saying to us this morning, and then how can we apply this into our lives today, the truth that we learn. So 
Before we do that, I'd ask if you would bow your heads and pray with me once again. Father, we do gather in that beautiful name of Jesus, the name that all of the writers speak of. The writers in the Old Testament, whether they knew his name, they knew the promised Messiah that you had promised from long ago would come. And they look forward to that with great anticipation. Today we look forward to the anticipation, we are anticipate Jesus in the text, that you would reveal through the power of your spirit more of his character, more of your character, that you would strengthen our faith. And in the lives of those that do not know you, that you would produce faith this morning through the power of your word. And we ask that all that we say, think, and do, the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, may it all be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, quickly, who is Luke? Well, we read from Scripture in, in Acts that he is a physician. He was a doctor. He was also a traveling companion of Paul. We read him traveling with Paul. We believe he wrote this gospel from Rome. He is the author of this gospel that, ha that bears his name, we believe, the gospel according to Luke. But he's also the, the writer, the author of the book of Acts. The, the gospel of Luke is the only gospel with a sequel. And you really, to truly understand the fullness of his gospel, need to read both Luke and Acts together because it is really one work. And I know this week we told you we're challenging you to read a gospel again. Last week was Mark. It's the shortest gospel. This week you've got your work cut out for you because this is the longest gospel. In fact, it has the most verses of any book in the entire New Testament. So you've got some work cut out for you, but you will profit from the work, I promise you. At least God promises you that, and I just echo that promise, that you will benefit from that work. And so, but you would also benefit from reading Acts as well. But like I said, it's one work, and we read more about what Luke is saying to us, and we'll, we'll delve a little bit into that a little bit later in the text. And we learn a little bit more about Luke and his, his, his desire to teach us these foundations, and not just teach us, but also show us that there's evidence to believe in Jesus, the man that walked the earth. In fact, that's what he's teaching us, and that's what we just heard read in that prologue. While it's the longest gospel, it has the shortest prologue, just four verses. But in those four verses, they're packed with the information about Luke, and they're packed with information about Jesus, and they're packed with information for us to understand who he is and why all that's important. And so I just want to kind of go back over that prologue quickly uh, to kind of just point out a few things. He says, many have undertaken to draw up the account of things. So other people have taken up this account to, to, to write to people. We don't know who they are, but we know, we believe that Matthew and Mark were, pre, were preceded Luke's gospel in, in time. So he may be talking about them that have been fulfilled among us, to take account of the things that have been fulfilled. When he's talking about being fulfilled, he's talking about bringing to completion the things that were written about earlier. So we think about the prophecies in the Old Testament that speak of this Messiah that will come, that speak of not Jesus by name, but his person who would come and what would happen, not just Jesus, but this man, John the Baptist, these things that would happen and what they would do when they came. And he's saying all of these things that have happened among us are, have happened to fulfill what God promised would happen. So he's saying to us that God is a God who always keeps his promises. There, there's really no fake news with God. He, he tells you exactly what he will do, and then he does it. 
And then he goes on to say, just as they were handed down to us by those who were eyewitnesses to the servants of the word. He's saying, I wasn't an eyewitness. Let's just get this clear. I'm not claiming to have, been, have walked with Jesus. I'm not one of the original disciples, but I interviewed all of them. I, I interviewed the main characters of this story, and I, I took great pains to do so in a, in a meticulous way and in a forthright way. That's what he's done. And then he goes on to say, with this in mind, with who I tell you I am and what I'm about, he says, since I have myself carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too then decided to write an orderly account to you. And, and that's what's fascinating because it doesn't tell us. But did Luke believe in Jesus before he undertook this investigation? Or was this investigation something that led him to see Jesus in, in this word? I don't know, but it's a fascinating question. And then he says, he's writing this orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, it's believed that Theophilus is a person, that he's someone, and they don't know who he is, but they believe that he charged Luke with this investigation, that he was sent to investigate the things that Theophilus himself had been taught about Jesus and had come to believe in Jesus. But he's like, you know, I've, I've, I've read all these things, I've been told all these things, but would you undertake this mission to go and, 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 and search out these things on my behalf and let me know if, if they actually add up. You know, here's the things I've been told. Would you go investigate and tell me whether or not you find them to be credible? And Luke's like, yeah, I'll do that. And so he, that's what he did. And, but here's the other interesting thing about Theophilus is that while we think he's, well, we, we scholars, biblical scholars think that Theophilus was a person, they also, they also suspect he might not have been either because his name means lover of God. So it could be that Luke is writing to this group of Christians in the first century when Rome is oppressing Jerusalem and, and the Jews and the, and the Christians are not in favor with Nero at that time. And so he could be just sort of like disguising his message to all the lovers of God and not to call out one person, you know, like poor Theophilus, right, when they found out who, you know, who he was, but I, it's just fascinating to think. So when I think about that, it's like you could say, he's writing to you, lovers of God, this morning, to investigate for you whether or not the things that you've been told about Jesus and in these things that happened were really true and, and really happened. And I think it's a great way to read Luke, to understand that this letter was written to you, O lover of God, and to explore the things written and so, in doing so, I think he's telling you, in a way, you too should take up this investigation and begin here with this. And then you too, put my words to the test. You too should, like me, not just take my words for, you know, like Theophilus, don't just take for what you hear. Do the investigation. Maybe bring somebody with you or send somebody ahead of you if you can afford to do that and send them to do the investigation for you. But that's what Luke is sort of telling us this morning. But then he goes on to say, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Right? It's like he's, all this evidence that he's going to give us in this text and the way he writes it and, and, and compiles it is so that you can be certain of the things you've been taught in your faith. You know, there's one of my favorite preachers said, you know, God has put enough in this world that believing in him is the most reasonable thing. But he's left enough out that believing in him by reason alone is impossible. There's enough in the world that believing in him is the most reasonable thing, but there's not enough to believe in him just by reason alone. It requires faith. A faith is given us. A faith that we can't reason, 
but it's a gift of God. And so he's saying, I'm writing to you so that it will strengthen this faith, the certainty. So it will give you like legs underneath this faith that you can be bold in proclaiming that, yes, this stuff really did happen. Why? Because plenty of people have taken up the, the task of investigating it, and I'm, and I'm one of them, and I'd love to have a conversation with you. And that's what Luke, I believe, is hoping would happen for Theophilus and all the lovers of God, is that they would be certain the things that are reported in this book and in the other writers actually happened. It's not like in a land far, far away in a time long, long, long ago, right? It's like, no, this happened in history, and that's what he's telling us. And as you start to read, you see over and over again him placing the activities written about, the, the events that are written about in this gospel in time with specific people who lived at a specific time so that you could then verify if what he's saying was true or not. And one of the clear ways that he does that, if you have your, script, you have your Bible with you, if you want to open it up on your phone, you should turn to Luke chapter 3 where he starts off this way, talking about John the Baptist. He says, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ithura and, and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene. Sorry, my eyes are going. I should just get my glasses out here. So, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, or Caiaphas the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And so right there, that's just a ton of information. You think all those names and, and in this place, right? He, he's, he's dating it. And he's saying, if you want to know what I'm telling you, it's true. look up these people. And, and the people that he's writing to probably in 60 to 70 AD would have known all these names. And they would have like, yeah, yeah, that, okay. Now that, that puts it in perspective, right? I, I know the date. And you do that in your own life. Remember when, you know, and you date it. And people are like, oh, yeah. And like, where were you on September 11, 2001? And now all of a sudden pictures come back in your mind and where you were and what happened. And that's what, that's what Luke is doing to, the, to his readers. To us, we have to, like, gain a little context. And so when you look at that first name, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. So Tiberius Caesar was the, the ancestor of Augustus. He was his... He was who followed his father Augustus into Caesarhood, if you would, as the emperor of Rome. And he ruled, we're told, from 14 A.D. to 37 A.D. And you read this was in the 15th year, and you do your math, and you're saying, well, that's like 28 or, or, or 28, 29 A.D. And that that's kind of puts everything's a little bit longer. But here's what we find. It's interesting because people say, well, that means Jesus was born later. And, and it's like, okay, so it's, do the investigation. So people have done the investigation, and they found that he actually began his reign in 12 A.D. See, Augustus died in 14. And then Tiberius took over as emperor, as Caesar. But in history, we find out that actually in 12, he made Tiberius, Augustus did, co-emperor of Rome. And so you could say he actually began his reign in 12 A.D. And so you add the 15 years, and the 15th year would have been about 26 A.D. Why is that important? Because he starts dating things. He says that's when John comes on the scene, and then he says later, he says Jesus in his 30th year, right, was baptized by John. And so we start to see things in Jesus' 30th year, which sort of dates Jesus' birth, and so everything starts to line up, and you're like, well, yeah, these people actually lived, and this is when it happened. It helps us gain context for this time. 
And you read about Herod and his brothers. They, were, they had regions that they were over, but there was a guy above them, this guy Pontius Pilate, that for a long time, no one found any evidence of him actually existing. He was in the Bible, but there wasn't any extra-biblical evidence, any archaeological evidence that he actually existed until the 70s. When an Italian archaeologist in Jerusalem, excavating one of the arenas, found this tablet, and it tells us when he reigned, but it also tells us that he is Pontius Pilate, prefect, governor of Judea. It actually says Tiberium Pontius Pilatus, prefect of Judea. And so it's like, well, there it is again. You know, exactly what Luke said is true. And they've discovered that he actually, since then, that he did reign for those 10 years, which puts him right smack dab in Jerusalem during the time that Jesus and John the Baptist walked the earth. And so it just helps us understand that what Luke is telling us is true. And, and what's fascinating, too, is that you have extra-biblical resources like the Roman uh, historian Tacitus and the Jewish historian paid by Rome, Flavius Josephus, who actually write of John the Baptist, tell us that he was a, a, a righteous man respected by the Jews. They actually write about Jesus and tell us that he actually walked the earth. They actually talk about John, his brother. And, and so you start to see, not just from the Bible, but extra sources that these people actually lived. This isn't a fairy tale. But in order to get to that information, you have to do some work. You have to do some digging. And Luke kind of sends you on that path. He kind of gives you those clues and said, well, then go investigate for yourself. And so that's what we're called to do. And I believe that's what Luke is calling us to do. And we can read about John the Baptist, not just in the Bible, but we can read that he actually existed and walked the earth. And he was there for a reason. As we've heard last week, he was there to announce that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the king. And that's what Luke is saying that he's the king. But not only that, he's saying both of these men came to fulfill what was written in the Old Testament. So Luke isn't just a historian. He's a theologian. He's teaching us something, that God always keeps his promises, that this news about Jesus coming this isn't fake news. It's, it's real news. It's historical news, that Jesus actually did walk this earth. So when someone tells you that they don't believe Jesus is a real person, or that he was make-believe, or, or that maybe he didn't die on the cross, or the fact that, you know, well, you know, maybe he really didn't die, and, and, and maybe God took him up before he actually was. All these things are all put to rest in the Gospels, and, and so much so in Luke that it, it's hard to ignore the fact that he's a real person, that he actually walked this earth, and he was actually crucified by the Romans, just like the Scripture said he was. And so as Christians, as believers in Jesus, that should, like, gird up our faith. That should strengthen our faith so that we know that this isn't, this isn't a fairy tale. This is based in, in reality. It's coherent because it helps us make sense of reality. And it's consistent because it doesn't contradict itself. It holds together. And so we look at this text, and the whole text tells one story, and it doesn't contradict itself, which is beautiful. And that helps us gird up our faith. And so Luke is telling all of us this morning, he said, do the investigation. Most excellent Theophilus, just like I have, read what I've written to you and see if it does not strengthen your faith. But you too then, don't just take my word for it, you too should do the investigation. And if you haven't read his gospel, you should read his gospel this week. You should set aside time. We still have the guides out there 
that will guide you through that reading day by day, you should take up that endeavor if you haven't read it. If you've never read your Bible, great week to start. And I would encourage you to do so. You will not be disappointed. But there's a little bit more. Because Luke doesn't just root all this in history and tell us we can trust the facts. He goes on to tell us why this is important for us. Because he goes on to tell us that Jesus wasn't just a historical figure, but Jesus was God himself. That Jesus himself was God. He tells us in the birth narrative when he came, when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, he will be the son of the most high, son of the most high God, and he will save his people. Right away, Luke identifies him as the son of God. And he goes on to teach us throughout the text over and over again, the examples of Jesus fulfilling what was written about him in the Old Testament. And one of the ways he does that is in the next chapter, in chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 14, where he's writing to these people in, in first century Palestine, and what he's saying to them is, this is what Jesus was about. And Jesus himself said, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm doing. And what he's telling us is that Jesus is saying to us that through the power of the Spirit in Jesus, the kingdom of God has come to earth in real time, in the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, the very first public appearance of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke is here at the synagogue in Nazareth. Jesus himself grew up in Nazareth, and now he's 60 years old, or 60, he's 30 years old, and he's gone to the synagogue as a good young Jewish man would do. And he comes into the synagogue, more not like this, but more like a Bible study kind of setting. And there's a reading that happens, and there's a librarian who goes over to this box or wherever they're kept, and he pulls out scrolls. And they would pull a scroll out, and they would hand it to someone to read, and that person would be responsible for teaching from that scroll. And Luke says, on this day that Jesus shows up in Nazareth, the librarian, the attendant, grabs the scroll of Isaiah. Jesus doesn't grab it. He grabs it, gives it to Jesus. And it says, as it goes on in, in verse 18, it says, and then when Jesus, unrolling it, found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and to recover the sight of the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It says, then he sat down, handed the scroll back to the attendant, and everybody's eyes in the whole place were just like fixed on him. Like, like isn't that Joseph's son? Right? And, and they were amazed at his gracious words, and they called his words gracious. And, 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 and you're like, What's going on? They knew exactly what he was talking about. See, he's quoting from an earlier text in Isaiah, chapter 61. And the prophet Isaiah is, is speaking on God's behalf here in 61. And this is what he says. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release, the darkness for the, release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Did you notice something there? That last line? And the day of vengeance for our God. Jesus doesn't quote that. He stops that to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and, and, and then he sits down. 
And people are amazed at this gracious message. And so Luke is trying to tell us something about Jesus. He's trying to tell us something about this time that he's writing in, and he's trying to tell us about the time that we're living in. He's saying to us, Jesus actually came in real time as a person to do all these things. That's what Jesus said. And then Jesus set about doing all of these things, actually healing the blind, healing the sick, raising the dead, opening the eyes of people, releasing the captives, preaching good news to the poor, those who are afflicted, those who are outcast. That's what Jesus did. He went his whole, whole ministry doing those things. And then he says, this is the year of the Lord's favor. He's telling everyone that's why he came, but he's also telling everyone this truth about God, that this time that he brings the kingdom of God here is a time of good news for the people because this is not a time of God's vengeance. This is not the time of God's wrath. This is the time of God's good news, his grace. We live under this grace. This is not a time where God is counting our sins against us. This is a time, as Paul says, where he's not counting the sins of the world against us. And Jesus is proclaiming that in everyone's hearing. He says, today, these words are fulfilled in your hearing. And then he goes on to sort of say some harsh words about them, and they took offense at that. And then they tried to march him out to the edge of town and throw him off a cliff, but it said he walked through them and walked away. But he's saying to us today that this, right now, is the year of the Lord's favor. This year, not meaning a literal year, but this age. Where God is not counting the sins of the world against us. And he's saying, by the power of the Spirit, God, through Jesus Christ, ushers in his kingdom and turns everything upside down. Where it was taught you had to clean yourself up, you had to do this, you had to do this, you had to do this, and if you did enough of those things, then God would have favor on you and you could hopefully believe that you would spend eternity with God. But now Jesus turns it upside down and says, no, that's not the way God works. This is the year of the Lord's favor. The Lord has come, sent me to pay for your sins so that you don't have to. And this is a time to announce to the world that that's who God is and that's what this time is. It's a time for you to repent of your sins, as John the Baptist said, and to come to Jesus and to receive this free gift of grace that he offers you. And then he goes about bringing that reign and showing what that reign of the kingdom looks like and what his kingdom shall look like. But then he goes on to tell us throughout this text, that's how you and I are to live. As, as citizens of that kingdom. As citizens of the kingdom of God. And we too are called then to bring the kingdom of God in real time, not in just a spiritual sense, but in real sense into our world today. Which is exactly what you see in the church in Acts because that's what the Acts is. It's the work of the church. And you actually see how the first believers in Jesus actually lived out his words and understood what was said. And they went about bringing the kingdom, the reign of God, into existence in real time in the world around them. And we're told when they did that, God added to their number daily those who were being saved because they actually lived out Jesus' words amongst the world around them. They actually brought the kingdom wherever they went in how they loved one another and how they proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor. They weren't going around yelling, God hates you. They weren't going around saying, we have God's favor and you don't, we're in, you're out. They went around teaching the truth and proclaiming that this is the year of the Lord's favor, that God loves you deeply and he so longs to spend eternity with you 
And people are saying, well, it's been a long time. And, and, and Peter says, well, I know people think it's been a long time, but God doesn't keep time like we keep time. In fact, he's very patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but come to a saving faith and knowledge of him. So it is a good thing that the Lord is patient. But it's also a greater thing that this is the year of the Lord's favor. This is a time that we, as the citizens of the kingdom of God, are called to bring the kingdom into existence in our time by giving sight to the blind, by praying for healing, just as the disciples healed. I believe it still happens today, but I also believe he does that through science and, and through medicine, where he brings healing. Scripture tells us all good gifts come from him. And so we, we receive healing, and there's, there's new medicines and, and new vaccines that actually help, and God delivers those to us, and we should, as followers of Jesus, rejoice in that. We're called to free the captives. We're called to bring the news that God doesn't hate you. God loves you. To set them free from that prison thinking that God is judging them and hating them. When God is saying, no, I love you, that's why my son came. It's so that you would know my heart. That you would know that you mean more to me than my son. I, my son says you mean more to him than his own life. That's what God thinks of you. Let's free the prisoners. Let's, let's give sight to the blind and let's care for the poor. Let's actually bring God's kingdom to bear now. That's what Luke is saying. And he's saying it to you, O most excellent Theophilus, that that is what we are called to do right now in our, in our present time. And the reason I think Paul, or Luke is telling us that, is that sometimes we're just not so confident in that. We're not so confident in the fact that he loves us that much that he truly would say that about me. We're not confident in the things that are said that I feel confident in actually proclaiming this truth to people that don't know him. Because when we're confident about something, we have no problem, we have no problem conveying it. Right? I mean, what class, grandparents, did you ever take to tell people about your grandchildren? You didn't. You love your grandchildren. You know your, and you, you tell people about them. I mean, think about it, Cub fans. How many years have you said the Cubs are going to win the World Series? And you have no problem telling people that, even though there's no evidence to that, to that regard. But we'll talk about what we're confident in, and what we're not confident in, we'll just keep to ourselves. Because I'm not so sure I'm right. I'm not so sure. And Luke is saying, well, you want to be sure? Then do the investigation. Read your scriptures and see if that's not true. Don't listen to me. Listen to Jesus in his own words. Listen to those eyewitnesses and the people that did the investigation. Read for yourself, for your sake. Strength, let the Holy Spirit strengthen your faith because that same spirit that anointed Jesus, that anointed John, that anointed the prophets, that raised Jesus from the dead, we're told, lives in you. If you call him your Lord and Savior, that same spirit lives in you. And I believe he's hungry to get this word into you so that he can get it out of you into the world around you. And Luke, I believe, is telling us that. That we can have confidence in that. But we're never going to have confidence if we, if, we, if we never take up the investigation. 
We might be bold, and we might do it, and then somebody proves us wrong, what we think is wrong, and then we like shrink away, and we don't know how to answer that question. We should say, there are answers. In fact, people have done that, right? They've, they've, they've set out to say, well, I don't believe. I don't believe in Jesus. And so, but people have earnestly set out to believe or to seek the evidence. And one of those guys is this guy, J. Werner Wallace. I don't know if you've ever read his book, Cold Case Christianity, but he was a homicide detective in Los Angeles who didn't believe. He was an atheist for his entire life. His wife believed, but he's like, it's nonsense. It's fiction. And then finally, he kind of gave in to his wife keeping after him. So wives, keep after us. Um, and he started doing the research. But here's how he did it. He used his cold case homicide skills to investigate the witnesses. He didn't, he didn't read anything about what they said. He wanted to know who they were and could he trust them as witnesses. Because as a homicide detective, you need to evaluate that, right? Whether I can trust this witness or not, what they're telling me is true. And so that's what he did. He sought out by seeking after the credibility of these witnesses, by, by researching who their disciples were and what did they teach and who did the disciples' disciples, what did they say and what did they teach and did they really believe this and did, is there extra biblical evidence to tell us that these people actually live and they're, they're credible? And at the end of that investigation, he's like, yeah, I would be crazy not to go further because these all seem to be reliable witnesses. And then he started researching about actually what the Word said. And guess who he found? He found Jesus. Amen. And he hasn't stopped talking about him since. And that's what you see over and over again in history. People that do that investigation, they find Jesus. That's what Luke's telling us. Luke's saying, do the investigation because I know who you're going to find. You're going to find Jesus. And he's kind of going back to one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. It's Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Not half-heartedly, wholeheartedly is really what that means there in that word. With your entire heart, with, with your life, do the investigation. When you seek after him, he says, guess what? You're going to find me. That's the promise. And every time you see someone take on that endeavor, <laughs> they find Jesus. Go back to C.S. Lewis. Go back to Martin Luther. Go back to people like Lee Strobel, right? All skeptics, all non-believers started trying to see who this guy was, and they find him because that's who they were looking for. They were actually wholeheartedly trying to seek after the truth. And they, show, they find Jesus at the end. Francis Collins, you guys know who Francis Collins is? He's the head of the National Institute of Health right now. And he was a physician by trade, up to age 27, atheist. And it was one of his, one of his patients that said to him, he said, well, what do you believe? And it really messed with him because he's like, you know, I never really thought about that. And so he started trying to understand that. He's also one of the two that helped map the human genome. If you guys, that gives more context to who he is. A crazy scientist. But he's a believer. He's a, a, a powerful man of God. And he hasn't shut up talking about Jesus ever since. But that's what happens. So that's why Luke's telling us. That's why I'm telling you. If you'll seek after it, I know you won't shut up about Jesus the rest of your life. And that's my prayer for you as if you would not stop talking about him and you would not stop seeking him. Because he says you'll find him there every single day. So I want to encourage you this morning. Do the investigation. Start with Luke if you haven't started. If you've read him, read him again this week. And let Jesus strengthen your heart. Let that spirit that lives in you just nurture your faith. 
and grow it to a place that you just didn't think it could exist. And just see what Jesus does with that. Just see what he does with your testimony. Just see what he does with your faith. I pray the spirit that lives in you makes you hungry. And if, if you're not sure about Jesus, I'm telling you, if you will seek him with your whole heart, you will find him. He will not let that search go unanswered because he's faithful. And he wants you to know the truth. In this world where trying to figure out what the truth is, Jesus says, come to me, I am the truth. He says that to everyone. And the good news is, as Jesus tells us, as Luke tells us, that he loves you more than you can imagine. More than you can imagine. And so I encourage you, seek him. Seek him. You will find him when you seek him with your whole heart. Would you pray with me? Father, we give you <laughs> thanks. And that word just seems so hollow. It seems so shallow to express the gratitude when we pause and think about the lengths at which you, which you went to communicate this truth to us, to show us just how much you loved us, that you would send your son into the world to endure what he endured so that we could call you our father so that you would call us your children. But Father, we confess to you this morning that we don't live as your children. We don't live in that faith, and sometimes we shirk away from our responsibilities because we're just not so sure. My prayer this morning is that everyone here would hear these words, that your son Jesus died on the cross and he's no longer, you're no longer counting those sins against us. That is why he died. Your hand is outstretched to all of us this morning to come and follow you, to come and seek you, to come and experience that forgiveness. This meal that we celebrate this morning, Father, we thank you for that reminder of Jesus and his forgiveness. I ask a prayer over everyone here this morning that you would make yourself known a little bit more today, that you would give us all a hunger for your word, a hunger for Jesus. And at the same time, we trust that that hunger will translate into a hunger for the world around us that doesn't know you. Father, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.